0: in hell a look back at saturday night live with your hosts matt and keith brought to you by lion's den audio theater like and subscribe to lion's den audio theater for more lion's den goodness and here are your hosts keith and matt
1: saturday night live season three episode 11 starring chevy chase originally aired on february 18th 1978 Hello, welcome to SN Hell. My name is Keith. With me as always, my good buddy Matt. Hello, Matt. Hi, Keith. It's been a while since Matt and I have recorded. I've had some tech issues. Um, I've also been sick off and on for about two and a half months, and uh, most of that was voice-related or throat-related. So we've had a bit of a break, and yeah, we're, we're back now, full of piss and vinegar, ready to finish off season three. Am I right, Matt, or did I miss a memo?
2: Nope, my
1: spin-off Mad TV podcast was a complete disaster. With us tonight, back for the first time since, I guess, Matt's sleeper hit of Season 2, the Jack Burns episode, we have Rebecca. Hello, Rebecca.
0: Hi, Keith. Hi, Matt. Hello.
1: Jack Burns, of course, landing as one of Matt's favorite hosts of Season 2. Due to his robotic weirdness, I believe, wasn't it, Matt?
2: He is uh, some sort of corporate. Generated entity of a man. He's not real. Jack Burns is not real.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, Nowadays they'd say he's AI.
1: (laughs) Chevy Chase is returning to Studio 8H. He's the first former cast member to come back and host. Matt, how excited were you to uh, to to delve into this episode? Honestly, pretty excited. Uh, Chevy Chase has a
2: uh, awful reputation as a person, but I have generally found him funny on this
1: program. And Rebecca, excited to be here for Chevy?
0: Yes, I am excited to be back on SNL, and and I am excited to see what the episode would bring, for sure.
1: Awesome. This was the highest-rated episode up to its point. It had a 38 share. That's around 15 million viewers. Um, by this point, season three, the show was uh, extremely popular reruns were getting higher ratings than their original airings especially like when they pull out a season one or a season two and it was sweeps week so that's uh, another reason i think chevy snuck back lauren wanted him in for sweeps Um,
2: chevy's a star man he's got star power the first season was built around him
1: yeah so one of the questions i had and we'll answer this as we go is has the show evolved so much that it's, you know, it's it's a different show than the one Chevy left. Musical guest tonight, Billy Joel. Now, the elephant in the room for this episode is the uh, altercation between Chevy Chase and Bill Murray that's on pretty much every list of top 10 celebrity fights that's available on every bit of clickbait.
2: Hey, uh, I heard it was Belushi's
1: fault. All I know is there was a brouhaha. <laughs> Bill Murray and Chevy Chase, they'd worked together before uh, Bits and Pieces. They knew each other. And they ran in the similar circles, but the, you know they weren't friends in, in the true sense of the word. A little bit of what I, I'm saying comes from Hill and Weintraub's Saturday Night Backstage History, Saturday Night Live, a bit from the uh, the Tom Shales uh, uh, Live from New York book, and a bit from different interviews and stuff. Uh, sort of none of this is me just making it up. I certainly wasn't there, as internet folks are always delighted to point out. So yeah, this is basically kind of everything combined together. In the early days when they worked together, and we've talked about this, Belushi was the star. Uh, Chevy was, uh, you know, a strong hand and uh, and and had his fans. But Belushi was the man to see. Fast forward to Saturday Night Live. Chevy pretty much walks away with the show, and uh, and then walks away from the show. Uh, he goes on to be a big star, and Belushi didn't handle it too too well. Chevy, of course, wasn't um, certainly not always the nicest person to deal with, and and the way different cast members dealt with Chevy's leaving and how he left was differed. Uh, different is there was definitely some resentment there after Chevy chase leaves, Bill Murray joins the show and he's immediately being compared to Chevy. Chevy chase is off doing his thing. He's making the odd comment about Saturday night live, not being as good as it was when he was on, et cetera, et cetera. Blue. She was very critical of chase at this point behind his back um, and uh, hill and weintraub in their book. Also note that Lauren Michaels may have stoked the fire by sort of trash talking Chevy, during certain meetings with the cast and crew so yeah we have uh, chevy back he's acting like a big star allegedly uh hill and weintraub say he was indulging in his demons particularly heavy that week bill murray who was a plucky guy who's been sort of referred to as a chicago street dog is getting annoyed with chevy and also have after having been fed so many stories about what an asshole he was and how he abandoned the show murray's not liking him too too much Another bit that's at play here is regarding Weekend Update. Uh, Some sources say that Chevy basically tried to big league Jane out of Weekend Update. She would have no contribution to Weekend Update that week. Bill, who found himself very close to Jane and very um, protective of her, was very angry about this. So before the dress rehearsal, Bill Murray makes some comments about Chevy being an asshole while he was on the show. And uh, Chevy got so mad, he he kicked Bill Murray out of the uh, dressing room they were in. But everything really comes to a head uh, five minutes before the show. They cross paths in John Belushi's dressing room. Murray made a comment about Chase's wife. Um, Chase made a comment about uh, Bill Murray's acne-scarred face. And shit went down when Bill Murray charged at Chevy at the door. So John Belushi and Brian Doyle Murray allegedly broke it up. Other people have that witnessed it allegedly have said that some combination of Ackroyd, Michael O'Donohue, uh, Tom Davis were there to break it up. And a few sources says, poor Tom Schiller got wedged behind the door. In the end, nobody was hurt. Nobody was injured. Most of the women just said it was just really sad. What was probably almost a commonplace thing in showbiz, even up to today, where two people just get mad and get into a little physical scrape, has really gone on to blossom into something far bigger than it actually was. I know even from my college days doing theater there were far worse things that happened on a regular basis at rehearsals than stuff like this however because it's you know two well-known stars who have stuck around both uh, known at times for being a little uh, a little impish we'll say yeah this has really taken on a life of its own hardly a big deal though i, I think anyway
2: i would never expect any trouble from an arrogant cokehead that's just <laughs> outrageous I'm glad the I'm glad the ladies thought it was sad. I got a good laugh when you said that.
1: Yeah, yeah, they were kind of just looking, going, "What, you know, really?" And Belushi allegedly got punched a few times in the fracas, where no one else did. So maybe there was some justice in that. Surprisingly, by Jane Curtin. <laughs> <laughs> I also heard from somebody that uh, a number of years ago, I remember hearing, I don't remember what the source was, but Bill's brother Bi- Brian Doyle Murray, who who was there to break up the fight i've heard that he is legitimately one of the toughest people in like show business he's like the for wrestling fans he's like the hawk who of show business maybe chevy picked a fight with the right murray brother brian dole murray looks like a tough motherfucker he's one of the oldest of a family of like a thousand irish catholics you know what i mean he's he knows how to handle himself so rebecca did you know much about this uh fight at all had you read about it heard about it
0: no, I did not. I had no idea. Am I surprised that a situation like this occurred? No. Um, you know, you get a couple of hotheads and stalls in their own right um, into a small space where, you know, and, and Chevy's coming back and he's, you know, throwing his big weight around being like, I'm the big guy coming back. And yeah, the, the the current cast would kind of probably feel a little annoyed and pissed off. That's probably the way he was treating them or maybe talking down to them a bit. I've seen this happen before, and I can also relate to the women going, "This is just sad and pathetic. <laughs> what are you boys doing? Stop it. Um, we have a show to put on." Sometimes we women just sit back and go, "God, men are stupid." <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you want a fight involved or like a, a real fight or a feud involving Saturday Night Live people, look up John Lovitz and Andy Dick. That's uh, that's blood feud right there. You know, Chase and Murray were never friends. I always think of them as. You know they're friendly. They work together. Certainly, Caddyshack. They shared a, a really good scene together, and they they got along well. You know, I almost see them as like opposite sides of the same social circle. Like they're both friends. They're both really friendly with Ackroyd, but you know they don't necessarily hang out. So uh, Chevy was working on Foul Play with Goldie Hawn, due to come out in July '78, and the first of his three television specials had been uh, had been done the previous spring. Matt, have you ever seen Foul Play? nope didn't know uh, i was aware that it existed only i do hope to watch foul play
2: uh as as a little bonus episode at some point is that just is this that's his first like post show yeah ever other than like a tv special or whatever yes yeah yeah got a long time to wait for cops and Robertsons. oh yeah
1: yeah for sure or memoirs of an invisible man so matthew you ready to do the show do it rebecca i'm all set sweet we get a disclaimer and incidentally, Matt, this should come as no surprise. These are all Michael Michael O'Donoghue bits, these uh, little disclaimers at the beginning.
2: Not surprised to hear that. I do no. enjoy them, and I generally like him. Uh, and yeah, this was a good one.
1: Little House on the Prairie, burned to the ground, won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you this special presentation. There's not been a dud of these yet. We now go to the cold open. Chevy Chase is back as Gerald Ford, and he's doing a bit about the Panama Canal that he keeps calling the Suez Canal. He, of course, does his usual shtick with the water glass uh, and the phone. He's called by Betty, who says she's bringing him soup, and then she brings him some soup. Chevy gets up and demonstrates on the map why the Panama Canal is important by drawing sort of the the sea route he would have to take with a marker, except instead of going across the ocean, he sort of keeps skirting along the coastline. Realizing he's made too many mistakes, he tries to change the map. He trips and does his typical fall and then gives uh, the live from New York. For me, this was clunky. Ford was always a little bit clunky, but this felt clunkier than usual. Maybe he's out of practice. Maybe the incident with Murray only a few minutes earlier has him off base. The audience were obviously very excited to see him back here and later in the monologue. I didn't particularly care for this one, but I was never big on Chevy or Ford.
2: I, uh, I thought it was really funny. I realized how much I missed him being on the show and uh, the prop gags were killing me. I, I liked the soup and the phone and just the, the stupid shtick he was doing. I was really hard on Ford when he started uh, doing it at first. I just thought it was dumb, but uh, it slowly won me over. I felt he got a little better at it. And yeah, I, I actually like this. I'm not a big fan of seeing the host in the cold open, but whatever.
0: I thought it was okay. The funny thing that stuck with me was the squeaking of the marker. It brought back, like a said, set- memory for me of like the squeak and then I could smell the marker and I was like what is happening to my brain so that was quite funny markers don't squeak like that anymore and they don't smell the same as they did back then so it was good it was funny I enjoyed the the soup bit it was, it was okay. okay it was okay
2: I was big on
1: this return I popped for it you could say yeah. if you were
2: at, <laughs> using some wrestling terms
1: we now go to the introduction, and they're gone back to the original title cards. It's strange to see it here. It ha- it hasn't been that long, especially like how we're doing it, but uh, I can imagine there was some degree of nostalgia there.
2: I actually didn't notice, but uh, you know, now that you mention it, of course, I I it recurs to me that there wasn't they they weren't using those motion clips, uh, those live not live, but you know what I mean, those pre records.
1: The monologue Chevy comes to home base and says he misses the show and misses the applause. He makes tons of comments just to get cheap uh, applause from the audience, saying things like "the best show on TV," "New York is the best city in the world." He brings up Brooklyn. Um, He then goes into a song, "The More I See You." He gets people kind of riled up about Nixon, and then he does a bit about cue cards, and he brings up cue card man uh, Al Siegel. Um, A couple weeks ago, Al was ill. They mentioned on weekend update, so it was nice to uh, to see Al back. All things considered, man, this was this was not great and i mean we, we we are not supposed to do the what it should have been but this was a generic monologue that could have been anyone's really um i thought chevy's timing was dreadful they go on to master this later i would have loved to have seen chevy do something about coming back or or what has gone on in his life since leaving something like that this is not so much a knock on what it was as what it could have been and that's not what we're supposed to do But my goodness, uh, it just felt like a lost lost segment here.
2: Oh, we're together on that one. Wretched.
1: Wretched monologue.
2: Not funny. You're right. The timing was atrocious. The the jokes were terrible, like just from Cheap Pops 101. Yeah, just I, I hated it. I was really disappointed.
0: Strike three. It was not good at all. He was just literally like trying to get audience participation in a way. Um, yeah, New York, no Queens, no this, like, and just bouncing all over the place. Nothing was connected. There was no flow to it. Like you said, like he was, his timing was awful. He was trying to wait for the claps to get louder or stay longer. And he wasn't anticipating them well. It was just pretty awful way to start the show, to be honest.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Mothmasher. This is a convenient household appliance used for pressing moths into a convenient and portable fashion. It's, of course, Dan doing his Ronco pitchman. Lorraine is a woman who likes to squish moths so that she can use them on the letterhead of her stationery. This was odd. It was weird. At this point, I really appreciated the zaniness. It did feel a little bit like filler, and it certainly isn't what your uh, your basematics are, but my goodness, this was... Uh, this was kind of a sight for sore eyes at this point in time for me. I missed Dan Aykroyd's mustache.
2: <laughs> for these sketches, yes. The mustache was uh, an important component of these characters. And without it, I don't know, he was a little too boyish, baby face. I don't know. Uh, it was silly. I did miss the stash. I thought Lorraine was funny. And, you know, the premise is just ridiculous. But that's fine. Uh, I uh, Like you said, I appreciated the absurdity. But I really couldn't stop thinking about his face.
0: the best one of the like evening so far the first one that i kind of actually gave a good little chuckle for um just because it was so silly his salesman pitch is like spot on and and lorraine's uh sell of like this is a wonderful gadget i'll use it all the time it was great it's funny you
1: mentioned uh dan's look matt since we started i've kind of been Saying to myself, when does Dan start to look like Ray from the Ghostbusters?
2: It it has begun. He needs a little more weight and uh, his his hair gets a little funny. You need that lost look in the eyes like your best friend died. (laughs) Jesus
1: Christ. (laughs) Our next sketch is called After Love. Most sources say that it was written by Alan Zweibel and Gilda Radner. Apparently somewhere Chevy is also taking credit for writing it or, or taking part in the writing or whatever. Chevy and Gilda play a recently met couple who just uh, just finished having sex. Chevy asks how it was. Gilda says it was okay, but just okay. Chevy asks her who Phil is, because partway through the act, she started yelling out the name Phil. She says it's the next boyfriend She then wants to know who Terry is, because he yelled it. He admits that he's Terry. She also said he yelled mommy, and he says it's his middle name. Gilda catches Chevy in a lie, where he said he pitched for the New York Yankees when he's actually a driver's ed teacher. Gilda says she knew he was lying, or she wanted to go home with him anyway. Chevy says he has an early class and tries to go, but Gilda says he can stay because it's his apartment. This was slower paced than what I expected this early in the show. I still think this was quite good, and it was extremely well written. Excellent, Chevy doing his usual thing, but excellent performance by Gilda. This sort of seems to be how she's described by people. Um, I really, really enjoyed this. I didn't laugh a lot, but I just thought it was a really well-written scene. I loved it. Gilda's line about the female orgasm when she was like, <laughs> sometimes I do and
2: I don't even know it. <laughs> I really got a kick out of that. It's nice to see her play a mature role, She she and like a mature adult role. She's so often playing like children or old ladies. So, you know, to, to be in a very like mature woman kind of role, I thought was really nice. <clears throat> the whole thing, it does have the vibe of the kind of humor I would expect to see in playboy magazine you know like body but but not like smutty you know like female orgasm kind of jokes and you know calling out someone else's name kind of jokes anyway it reminded me of playboy magazine humor yeah i liked the ending where she was like you don't have to go it's your apartment yeah it was a hit for me you're right it wasn't haha funny but i i did love it the entire way through.
0: For me, this was the most polished segment of the show. I think uh, their timing was good with each other. Their bit of awkwardness was really good with each other. So it, overall, for the the setup of it, it was it was good. And like I said, but it was the most polished of the of the night tonight. It seemed the most together, uh, which was great. And I did really enjoy uh, Gilda in this. Like it was a comfortable like character on her. And maybe because it is more of her like her playing her natural age rather than, like you said, Matt, like a young person, a kid or like an older woman fit her better. And I, and I would love to see her do some more types of this kind of characters of her own age.
1: We now go to Only the Good Die Young. Billy Joel, Long Island boy, fourth biggest selling solo artist in the U.S. Uh, this was the night, uh, as Chevy announced, this was Billy Joel's 10 year reunion and he missed it. He had just released the album The Stranger. It uh, was one of Columbia's biggest-selling releases to this day. It had been released in September of 77. Only the Good Die Young was released as a single in May of 78. goes on to peak at uh, 24 on the Billboard charts. I'm a huge Billy Joel fan. This is one of his more up-tempo, fun songs. Uh, he did get in trouble from the different Catholic leagues about this song, and he <laughs> always said this is not anti-Catholic. It's pro-lust. I love this song. I like Billy Joel. Have at you, Matt.
2: It's got these Randy Newman vibes for me, like Billy Joel, Randy Newman, Paul Simon songs. It's just the most middle America, white bread, 70s AM dad rock. That should be the antithesis of this show. But, you know, fuck me, I guess. Fuck me.
1: (laughs) The bigger justification of this is he's a New York boy on the rise at this point more so than one that had been that has, was already tired like the other two fellas, if you know what I'm saying
2: I mean I know what you're saying but, um, I don't know I mean I can't I can't with these fucking piano <laughs>
1: <men>. <laughs> I expected more of a more of a fight but I know I know it's the same battle right Yeah, you, you know had. what
2: it, it is man it's not that it's like the fight is in me the f- <laughs> like the spirit is willing but the flesh is spongy and bruised <laughs> Yeah, like I, I just I end up just repeating myself ad nauseum with the, some of these musical selections. I I really hate it, and you know I, I look forward to a time because you know I've seen later episodes of the show. I haven't, done, you know, I haven't just started watching it when we started doing the podcast. Yeah. The music gets better and it gets more contemporary and a little more to date. And I, you know, I, I consider myself a pretty good resource of music. You know, I got a good memory for it. Or like what album was this? This song on and who sang what and whatever I listen to music all the time. They can do better. Like if you like Billy Joel, you probably like Randy Newman. You probably point, like yeah. Paul Simon. Spotify is like, hey, if you like this, check out this. <laughs> this check out this. They're all on the same algorithm, <laughs> and I want off it. I
0: find sometimes the music is just filler for purpose of changing sets and 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 costumes, um, which is fine. It has its purpose in that role, but it's not the reason I'm there. But in this case, I like Billy. I liked him a lot in this first song. It made me want to get up and dance. Um, I thought it was a good placement right after the scene um, in the bed. Because, you know, a little sexy time, a little scandals nature. We go together. Um, which is really, it was a really good placement for that. It was bringing up the tempo of the show a little bit, bringing up the fun a little bit. Um, and I was like, okay, good. Like, I feel like maybe now things are going to start and and get into a better uh, pace, uh, timing, and, and, and just being more funny. So this was my hopeful moment of the show, I think.
2: <laughs> That's so interesting. Like, it, to me, it's outrageous that you would talk about Billy Joel and say things like good decision and sexy. <laughs> you know, to each their own.
1: Our next sketch is called King, and this is a parody of a three-part miniseries starring Paul, uh, what's his name, Paul Winfield as Martin Luther King that was airing on TV that week. So we have uh, Dan Aykroyd as John F. Kennedy. That's his third president, as he's already done Carter and Nixon. Nixon. Yeah, of course. Just for the record, uh, it's the fifth appearance of a U.S. president because Chase had done Gerald Ford and a really bad Ronald Reagan. This is Martin Luther King played by Garrett Meeting with JFK, played by Dan Aykroyd, at the Kennedy family compound in Hyannis Port, Martin Luther King goes to the bathroom and RFK, played by Bill Murray, comes out eating chowder. There's a joke about the uh, young clams being best for chowder because only the good die young. They keep referring to each other as my old friend, and this is a reference to the Dion DeMucci song, Uh, Abraham, Martin, and John. Has anybody seen my old friend John? That sort of thing. Robert Kennedy gives Martin Luther King a tie collapse. It's actually It's actually a microphone. Uh, MLK talks about uh, organizing a march on Washington. RFK says it's not the right time because he wants it to happen when he's president. JFK asks Martin Luther King if he's ever slept with a white woman. MLK asks if their sister counts. MLK leaves. JFK says in 15 years, they'll all look back and laugh. A lot to unpack here. First off, this is Saturday Night Live going after the left. Uh, very ineffectively, I think. I don't think this worked at all. They did kind of go for the jugular on certain things. Certainly, the three men being killed—you know, none of them were alive 15 years later. Um, they did touch on MLK's, uh, and actually, all three—the the, the three of them being
0: known—cheaters,
1: <laughs> yeah, adulterers, <laughs> adulterers, or that's something you don't even mention today about MLK. And star of this was Bill Murray's. Robert Kennedy the hair the temper way he was way over the top with the accent uh, as was uh, as was Ackroyd as well matter of fact this is the first time that these three characters were impersonated on the show and when you really consider how big a part they play in 20th century history uh, there's not much of these guys Kennedy we only see five times King we only see three and I think this is the only time RFK has ever been a, a character on the show. There certainly seemed to lose the audience uh, after a few of the more risque jokes. Hadn't been 10 years since MLK and RFK died. So it might be a tad too soon. A couple of giggles references to a song that was well known, but I don't know if everyone got it right away. Uh, not much here.
2: No, I did not care for this at all. I really enjoyed uh, dance Kennedy. I just, just, just pick up on what you said. Like you mentioned that the, you know, there are appearances in the show. You, you, I don't think the show needs impressions of, dead guys or political figures of the past. And I don't think there's a lot to mine there, especially with the, you know, it's not like it's been forever ago. It's not like you're making a joke about Cleopatra. I mean, these are prominent <laughs> American citizens that were assassinated. I did think Dan was good with his voice. I didn't like Bill's accent. I, uh, I found it annoying. With this political, topical humor of uh, yesteryear, sometimes I just don't get it because I'm not, you know, I'm not Watergate well-read. Uh, uh, just for example, and I, you know, the relationship with these men, I know nothing about it. All I got to go on is what you're putting on the screen for me, and I think that's where you have to start if you're gonna. And you know, I, I, I get it. Saturday Night Live does topical humor, but jokes. Don't shouldn't rely on some sort of pre existing knowledge to be funny, and uh, I, I do think that happened here. And I just, you know, the whole time I just wanted somebody to say, say it, Frenchie, say chowda.
1: <laughs>
0: um, I also was ho hum about the whole thing. I did like the little line throwback of uh, to only the good die young about the clam chowders. You know, it, it did seem a little distasteful, and I also found the line about, you know, if, if their sister counts, that was also a funny line. But yeah, it was it was just a little little weird. I I you know the accents were a little I think light, lightly overdone. I don't know. You don't it doesn't seem right to make jokes and be like, oh yes, we'll be here 15 years laughing about this. Oh wait, no we won't.
2: Oh, um, yeah, like, yeah, like, good was like, Where
0: was done. the laugh supposed to be there? Like I don't I don't know where they thought they were going to find the laughs from the audience in that piece.
1: We now go to weekend update jane makes a sphinx sphinx joke this episode is brought by pussy whip the first dessert topping for cats this wasn't this was a, one of them ones that really rankled some uh some censors so there's some jokes about haldeman bob Halderman's book coming out the rhythm method of birth control has been replaced by the rhythm and blues method where people like bb king will be there as you uh copulate. We have a joke about Billy Carter throwing up in a paper bag that was also used as a contract for a business deal. Is I don't know. Is this our first Billy Carter's a drunk joke that we will listen to for the next 20 years? Phone rings for Dan. There's a voice saying his mother has been in an accident. We get a photo of the New York Yankees stretching. They say it is nerve gas or actually Babe Ruth's breath. Chevy Chase comes in taking Dan's spot. Lorraine reports from a coal miner strike. Al Franken comes out as a coal miner as he coughs uh, like coal dust goes flying all over the place. The phone rings for Jane. Her mother has also been in an accident. Jane looks across and sees that it's Chevy on the phone trying to get rid of her. Oddly enough, she calls him Sparky, which is Chevy's nickname in the National Lampoon uh, movies. Anyway, Belushi comes out, covers the career of um, Muhammad Ali, who had recently lost to Leon Sphinx. But it turns out it's just Belushi, remember the time he and Brian Doyle-Murray and some of his pals went to an Ali fight, and they got in a f- or he got in a fight himself. He said, everyone should be able to defend themselves, especially women. He puts on boxing gloves and knocks out Jane. He then says, it's all yours, Chevy, implying Chevy paid him to a beat up Jane. Emily Letella comes out, and she's so excited to see that Cheddar Cheese is back. She's really annoyed that Jane won't let her on the news. Jane gets up disheveled. As she's leaving, she sees Emily, tells her to get lost. She then loses it on Chevy and uh, says that she's brought some integrity to Weekend Update. Chevy, of course, mugs and mocks her as she talks. She tells him to go back to Hollywood. um, When she says that one person in the audience claps, and I think it's Matt after time traveling, both Chevy and Emily call her a bitch. And then Garrett comes out to do the School of the Hard of Hearing bit that I love so much. This was the longest update I think they had up to that point and one of the longer ones in the show's history. A lot of jokes went over my head or I just didn't like them. I love the Yankees stretching. Good idea to get Chevy trying to get people out of the way for him to host alone. I thought if you're going to have Chevy do this and you're still going to honor Dan and Jane, they couldn't have done this better. The Belushi bit, I thought, was actually quite funny. I was hoping Jane would actually knock him out, but then it went a different way, which made a bit of sense. Emily and Chevy together, nice bit of a early nostalgia there. You know, the thing that I really took from this was that Jane and Chevy sharing the desk actually could have worked. And, and may have helped with her transition not a bad update considering the length again biggest laugh for me I, i'm a sucker for it is garrett doing the school of heart of here?
2: i thought it was too long i i really think they could have shaved a lot of this shit off the top that i did not like like all these leon sphinx jokes and the man nixon humor just drags me down I'm sick of the Watergate jokes. You got to move on, guys. Come on. When Chevy came out to the desk, I did hear somebody in the audience go, all right. (laughs) Uh, It was just one dude who was (laughs) stoked to see Chevy Chase come back. And that was me. I have a note here that I really miss Lorraine's reporter voice slash character uh, that she used to do. Now she just kind of like plays it straight. And uh, I miss her doing that weirdo reporter. I thought the phone gag was fun. Uh, it was, you know, Emily is not around much anymore, so that was okay. I did, I, didn't, I always think it's funny when she calls him Cheddar. Uh, Jane's outburst was really good. And again, Jane speaks for me in these moments, absolutely. I too love, but uh, I'm a sucker for that Garrett Morris bit too. He didn't do it as well this time, but whatever. It, like, it was getting the nostalgia cheer from me. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was okay. It was too long. And I don't, you know, Chevy and Jane uh, being a two person desk would have been fine. My favorite weekend update format so far continues to just be Jane by yourself. Dan Aykroyd adds little to nothing to weekend Update. And Jane's better than Chevy.
0: Yeah, that's uh, pretty much kind of my notes. Um... <laughs> You know, the bits worked about trying to get Aykroyd out of the way and then trying to get her out of the way, knocking her out, giving her a bruise on the cheek, all that stuff. It worked to serve Chevy, but I don't think they were thinking long run in this because they should have been working to her so that she was able to carry this onward and upward in a really good way. Like they could have this could have been really a good launching point to really push Um, weekend update into a direction that could have gone with this but they chose not to and yeah a lot of the jokes I did not get or I just did not enjoy the baseball one yeah was funny their little stretches all looking like little eggs rolling on the field it was okay and yeah the the hard of hearing was fun but yes at the end they they both messed up it felt a little slapdash in some sections um but yeah the it's Weekend Update.
1: Incidentally, in the in the Live from New York book and a few other interviews, Jane has said that she didn't care if Chevy did it that night. She was actually pissed off because Lauren called her to talk about it as she was late for the ballet. I usually cut out most of the wrestling references in this show. It had the vibe of like when a big star comes back to wrestling and beats up a guy that's been there week in and week out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I hate that. I hate that you put it like that, and I hate that I agree. And and to be honest, let's call it as it is, we are in the minority as far as preferring Jane. Most people would thought it was a complete travesty if Chevy did not do Weekend Update that night.
2: Well, you know, as I always say, what we do here is a public service. Nobody else is sitting through this and they may never again, uh, as the years march on, there'll be other things, you know, maybe you just want to rewatch the Simpsons and that's going to take you 20 years. Um,
1: so I don't know. We're right. That's, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> We're just right. We now have a Chiron. This person is an understudy. This person is actually Jacqueline Carlin, Mrs. Chevy Chase, who had appeared on the show a few times and who, bill murray had alluded to in his insult earlier in the night we now go to airport security and this starts with dan as a security supervisor briefing new airport security employee chevy chase on the protocol for checking people as they pass through security he says he should always check black people and young couples dan finds a marijuana seed in garrett's uh in in garrett's luggage ackroyd goes off uh belushi and lorraine come in as a couple she's having a baby Chevy checks their luggage and he doesn't notice lots of drugs taped to the inside of the divider as powder is flying all over the place. Lorraine's breasts are huge and they're leaking cocaine. Chevy blindly misses the clouds of cocaine everywhere and then he lets them pass. Bill Murray then passes through as a priest with Groucho uh, glasses on and a big wheelbarrow full of coke. This wasn't great, but it's probably as much because this whole airport security premise has been so played out. Especially in the post-9/11 world, this one might be a victim of too much time has passed.
0: Yeah, that's what I said, uh, Keith. I was like, it didn't age well at all for many reasons. Again, it seemed like Chevy was clunky and mistimed. You know, the one thing that I didn't uh, enjoy is I remembered how much I miss uh, suitcases with dividers in them. (laughs) To keep things organized better. That's what I was like, oh, yeah, the suitcases, those are great.
2: Yes, if you'll excuse me, I'd like to break from the pack. I I thought it was really good. I thought this, you know, it's not a lot of jokes here, but this is absolutely a piece for Chevy Chase to do his Ford-style stupid bumbling, and I I thought it was pulled off very well here. I really liked Belushi and Lorraine as the drug-smuggling couple and that ridiculous like comically large breasted uh, coat that she was wearing that started leaking cocaine from the boob. Uh, Belushi uh, playing a uh, stressed-out trafficker a little too convincingly for my taste. (laughs) Um... And even when Dan came back, like, he, you know, they just kind of, I don't know. It wasn't perfect. okay? but uh, Chevy Belushi and Lorraine all did great. Dan could have been fucking anyone. I could have done that. But uh, those three, I thought, really killed it. Yeah, I I got a lot of laughs out of this. So uh, what can I say? I like trafficking humor. I don't know.
1: (laughs) We now have a Gary Weiss film. This one is called The Voice. And it's Lor- it begins with Lorraine at a store getting ready to buy something. It uh, doesn't come in the right color. And we start to see here these high-pitched, sing-songy voices over suspenseful music whenever something bad happens to Lorraine. The voice ramps up, gets more and more intense as Lorraine drives home. Lorraine is starting to get very angry, and it seems like she's going mad. She gets to a home. She rushes up the stairs and goes into a room where she finds the source of the high-pitched voice. It's Canadian comedian Valerie Bromfield, and she tells her to shut up. Bromfield hasn't been on the show since episode one when she did a substitute teacher bit that we all hated. My goodness, I loved this. Uh, Again, if the world reboots Lorraine Newman 2.0, become a horror movie icon. You will. You are perfect at this. You are the missing scream queen in people's mind. Uh, Really enjoyed this. It was stupid. It was weird. It was wacky. But uh, this worked for me.
2: Me too, man. There was I thought it was weird. I, I found it surreal. And I uh, yeah, I know I know Lorraine loves horror movies. She's vocal about it, and she would have been so good in them. She just looks like she should be in them. She's she's clearly got she's got the the, the vibes for it. I think she's a good actress. Yeah, miss missed opportunity there for us all. But yeah, I liked it. This is this was uh a good good Gary Weiss film. It was nice and short, which I really appreciated, which I think something this weird and just strange has to be.
0: Yes, it was short, which is great. Uh um, because I did not like it. I think it's probably because I am not someone who is a horror movie fan. The screaming to me just reminded me of my children when they are trying to drive me insane. Um, So maybe you hit a little too hard, you know, close to home. Um, I was just happy that it was over quickly and it didn't drag on too long. You know, it did have that suspenseful horror film feel, like what's going to happen when she goes up the stairs? But no... No, did not enjoy this one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, an odd one, Matt, that it's, it appears to be shot in or around Los Angeles rather than New York.
2: That's Lorraine Newman's home base, as my understanding.
1: Yeah, and I think it's where Weiss had found himself, too, by this point. We now have a Chiron, this man parked overtime. And we go to the Sermonette, and this is one of them, uh, they don't have many more, of course, but the end of the day broadcasts from a, a priest or a reverend. Um this one is from the Church of Confusion where Reverend Archbishop Maharashi O'Mulliganstein, DDS played by Chevy comes out and gives a mishmash of religious advice mixed in with uh, airport protocol Greek mythology Robert Frost etc cetera, etc cetera. I don't know how to put this it was just kind of uh, almost like Mad Libs really the unfortunate bit was this was sort of Chevy's big solo moment and and it, it really didn't have Kind of the legs I sort of thought or hoped he would get. There was something good about it, I think, but uh, it didn't uh, didn't jump over the post for me.
2: Yeah, absolutely not. Uh, I I did not like this even a little bit. I didn't think it was funny. I didn't get it. I think uh, a loss and. I didn't think Chevy was good in it. I, I struggled to find the jokes in it. Like, I, I sincerely, when it was over, I, I had a confused look on my face. Like, I like, did I just miss something? Should I watch it again? Like, what the fuck was that? I, I think I just didn't get it. Uh, I certainly didn't think it was funny. I, I just I thought it was just kind of boring.
0: You're not alone in that, Matt. Um, definitely. Same thing, same thoughts. Uh, I thought, you know, these are just random strings of words. And pieces of religion and other random things thrown together. And I thought, am I missing the point? Like, am I missed have I missed something and I'm not connecting the dots? Um, but I don't think there were any dots to connect. Maybe it was thinking it thinking too much about it and and, and it was just supposed to be something silly and ridiculous.
1: Yeah, it was kind of non sequiturs, I guess, more than anything else. Chiron, this person is planning tomorrow's breakfast. We now go to great moments in war. And this is a parody of the 1949 Van Johnson, Ricardo Montalban movie *Battleground*. Uh, Belushi, Garrett, and Chevy play soldiers at a checkpoint. Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd drive up as uh, obvious Germans. They're stopped at the checkpoint and asked questions about America to prove that they are American. They respond too perfectly until Chevy does a bad Jimmy Cagney impression and they can't answer correctly who it was. The Germans almost pass until. Some one of the uh, one of the soldiers notice a matchbook from from Berlin. Uh, they go on to ask the, the Germans who the manager of the Cleveland Indians was. Garrett doesn't know, and they decide that Garrett is German. Chevy also doesn't know who the manager Cleveland's manager is, and Belushi holds him at gunpoint and says you can't trust anyone. Chevy asked Belushi, Belushi doesn't know either. Uh, they all wind up with their hands up. Not only is this parodying like battleground, but there's stories of different generals being stopped and not knowing the answer, like what's the capital of Illinois or um, what's a Texas league or stuff like that. Uh, This looked really good. Um, I thought all were good in this. There was something missing. Um, I, I know the scene that they're parodying, so that really worked in its favor for me. Definitely not top tier, but I got some giggles out of it. I think Dan could be like a good comic
2: Nazi for like a whole movie. <laughs> that character had legs. There was something amusingly cartoonishly German about him. You know, it was fun-ish. All the baseball stuff started to get on my nerves. And I didn't understand Garrett being with them. Like when they when they rolled out, I was like, is he supposed to be a black Nazi? Poorly thought out. I had no idea it was based on a movie of any kind. And I'm certainly in 2023 not going to watch a feature-length picture with ricardo montalban unless it's wrath of khan
0: (laughs) i actually enjoyed this one uh tonight i'm a history buff and then i love history about the world wars um both one and two um so it's something i enjoy factually but i also enjoy world war movies you know my dad and i used to sit and watch movies together uh on cable so you know I've enjoyed a lot of wartime movies. Things like The Great Escape uh, come to mind. It just was fun. It reminded me of those movies and the silliness of that. And uh, a little bit of Inglorious Bastards from uh, recent history and time where they were being silly um, and Germans were stupid in the movie. And, you know, and, and Americans saved the day. I, I actually kind of enjoyed this one. I thought it was uh, it was funny and and uh very relatable for myself so it brought some back fun nostalgia for me
1: so we now have uh, billy joel performing just the way you are this is also from the stranger hit number three released in 77 this is on the list of a lot of like the best rock songs ever no this is an excellent performance there's something about how like i don't know there's like there is an instant nostalgia with billy joel i just really like the music um i i thought this was was quite good
2: I wish I was a stranger to Billy Joel's music. How I feel when I listen to Billy Joel is like I ordered spicy salsa and they gave me tomato sauce.
0: Yeah, I thought it was a good performance by Billy. It is the slower song um, and a slow song to end the show. I thought was a little um, odd, um, but, you know, it is, it is Billy Joel. So it was good, but I don't have much actually to say about this one.
1: We now have the sketch with no ending, or as I call it, SNL tries Python. Jane, Lorraine, and Gilda play three high-pitched old English grannies, aka the Pepper Pot Women, and they're talking about Charlie's Angels. Chevy comes out and tells the women that they're short on time. The women try to save the sketch by saying Chevy is their son, Nigel, but Chevy won't play along and uh, asks if they've been given an ending and they should get to it. Breaking character, Gilda says that Garrett is supposed to come in as the Archbishop of Canterbury. Getch then pans over to Dan playing rod serling this becomes a twilight zone sketch serling says basically a cast is hoping that they can get bailed out and the only way that can happen is by him it then becomes belushi as truman compote watching the show and uh they pan out and belushi is wearing white boxers murray then comes in as his director character and uh chastised belushi for not wearing pants john says he wasn't wearing pants because it was the uh, typical english thing to do the women come in wear the pants. Belushi says the only way out of this sketch is to have a heart attack and he drops and then the rest of them bill, and then the girls do as well. The doorbell rings, and it's someone looking for Mrs. Orphanory. And it turns out to be the land shark who eats the women. Garrett then enters the initial set as the Archbishop of Canterbury. He then shuffles off to Buffalo and does a that's all, folks. This is undoubtedly a try at Monty Python. It's weird because Python didn't do the contemporary references. Uh, I mean, Eric Idle did at the time. But anyway, though so I, I saw this as definitely an homage and not a ripoff. They were extremely blatant about it. In this sketch, I thought everyone was good. The women were really funny. Ackroyd Serling is great. Belushi's Capote is really good, too. It does seem to have a mean edge to it, but maybe that's just me projecting. Always enjoy Murray's director. The turning point in this sketch were the two things. The land shark was a great surprise, but the real kick for me was that <laughs> I had forgotten that Garrett was supposed to come in as the Archbishop of Canterbury. So when he did, I burst out laughing. It seems to be like a mishmash of everything that they couldn't fit in the episode, slammed into one and put on. I really laughed a lot at this. Well done by everyone, I thought.
2: I, I thought this was exhausting. I, I did not like it nearly as much as you. Uh, Gilda shows no range whatsoever by just doing Emily Latella sitting there at the table. I do not like Dan's Rod Serling at all. Bases he pulls and he keeps trying to roll up the upper lip. I really hated it and I found it really irritating. Uh, I really liked the Capote. I thought that was uh, cool. And finally, toward the end of the sketch, after this eye-rolling heart attack bit, I did absolutely agree that I cracked up uh, when Garris came out and of course i you know i popped for jaws
1: 5 absolutely
0: this is where i thought the episode literally jumped the land shark <laughs> <laughs>
1: um,
0: i was kind of interested about which way these ladies were going to go at the beginning and then chevy comes in and i'm like oh you jackass you're taking it away from the ladies again like being a big ass jerk that was my take on that. And then to me, it felt like, you know, this was something they slapped together. It was awful. Um, I, you know, there was a couple of good characters, but again, but there was no time for anything to really develop or and, and be funny. It did not hit uh, like British humor hits. It, it felt like a fail and, and, and very slapdash.
1: We have a Chiron. There's an audience member on camera. We now go to the good nights. We have Chevy at the piano saying it was fun to be back and good night. And that's it. Uh, Bill Murray is not there at first, but he uh, does come out afterwards. He hangs around the back with Belushi and Aykroyd. There's obviously some distance there. Doesn't Belushi throw some fake punches his way or something, too? So let's uh, let's rate this show. So the host, for good or for bad, I held Chevy to higher standards than most hosts. The guy made a name for himself as a, as a performer on this show. We got his Ford, we got Update, and we got Landshark. There were a lot of segments he was not in, or he was just sharing the screen with others, like he was a supporting role in the, uh, the war sketch. Um, and even in After Love, I thought Gilda was the one that got all the laughs. He wasn't in the movie. He wasn't in JFK, MLK, uh, the King sketch. Yeah, was Chevy good. Yeah, he was good. He was fine. He was this as good as Chevy could be or later would be in other appearances. No, not even close. We're not doing the show in real time. So like the novelty of like seeing Chevy for the first time in a while is yeah, unfortunately we can't fake that. So, we don't have that. So this is kind of uh, kind of a disappointment for me as far as Chevy's concerned. I agree
2: with what you said at the uh, at the outset there that
1: I expected better. you know
2: he he's the star of season one there, there should have been more. I don't know, a little bit of more pomp and circumstance. You, you're in a movie with Goldie Hawn. You know, you're going on to big, bright things. Take credit for that success Saturday night. You know, celebrate it, too. They didn't celebrate it or take credit for it. Uh, but, I mean, that's this. this let, let me shove that aside for a moment, because we're talking about Chevy. Uh, but I, I thought it was mostly pretty uninspired.
0: Yeah, I agree. It. I was surprised to hear when Keith had the opening that it, it was a piece that they brought him back for Sweeps Week to kind of bring up the nostalgia and bring up the readings and all that stuff. and it almost felt like it could have been an episode where someone ended up having pneumonia and couldn't make it in. so they called Chevy in to help fill out the cast. He just did not shine the way eh, overall yeah
2: eh. <laughs> <laughs> I agree completely <laughs> it
0: wasn't
1: special. It should have been special.
0: It should have been yeah
1: they, they'll master and some of this is hindsight. like they will master this like when Mike Myers comes back whole thing is the whole beginning is about him finally being host eddie murphy of course when he comes back you know they they do it right later so and maybe it's not fair to uh to put them under this uh you know up to the same standards for something they'd never done before but there was almost no mention of chevy having been there before you know it's it's i know maybe like you're right you you fine-tune your craft but holy shit
2: you're, you're on season three of your big hit network tv show you're professionals Your your dude just made a big Hollywood movie. You know, I understand fine tuning the craft, but get on your shit because you're not on your shit. If you got the star of season one coming back to host and you treat it like it's the who like Chevy just won the anyone can host award. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. One of ours made it, and they and they should have been uh done better. And maybe it wasn't done better because of the fighting and in the like before the show and, yeah. and, the, and the attitudes were, were happening. And, um you know, maybe other things played into that piece that they were like, OK, well, we don't want to, you know, overshine on Chevy. But then I think they downplayed it too much, um, which is kind of sad.
1: And we're going to see Chevy again hosting in season five. So uh, so we'll see how uh, how things go between then and now or now and then, oh. I guess. The music. I thought it was excellent. Big fan of Billy Joel's. He picked two uh, timely and good songs. Uh, No complaints here from me.
0: i definitely enjoyed um, the first song uh, versus the the second song, just because, you know, I I do enjoy songs on the show that are more happier and upbeat and like kind of give you a bit of a a semi-party added like feeling to it because... It is supposed to be an enjoyable night of entertainment and laughter and 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 excitement. And I think when they pull out slow songs for any artist, anything that's a little uh, a little more laid back, a little more soft, it falls. No matter who the artist is.
2: Yeah, I mean, what can I say that hasn't been said? I, I, that's a sincere question.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll uh, I'll just use your response to another. Can you can
2: you just cut and paste whatever I said about Randy Newman? We, We track the metrics. We have thousands of fans in Romania, and this is I want to address these things as as you should as like a a social thing rebecca kind of mentioned before that she didn't think you know the music on saturday night live was uh, a little bit of filler you know i think i understand that impression to me the music has always been a very big part of the show a big important part of the show you know santana shouldn't be a gushing breath of fresh air it's just (laughs) fucking santana
1: so uh throwing to you guys what was the worst sketch of the night
2: that whole religious shit where cheddar in front of the stained glass window. Uh, I thought it was wretched, not funny. And that talk about filler, that, that (laughs) meant nothing to me. They could have ran test pattern. And I I just thought it would have been weird. And I probably would have got a more, an emotional reaction out of me.
0: Yeah. Um, it, uh, it's kind of hard to pick a worst because I uh, was hum about so much of it tonight, but I definitely, I think I agree with you, Matt, uh, I thought the sermon piece thing was awful. No, I just I, I really have almost nothing to say about it because I almost forgot it even existed. Um when I was Lucky to you
1: <laughs> I'm breaking from the pack here. I went with the uh Martin Luther King Kennedy thing. Sometimes I say it had good moments. This one had like good seconds. Um just not a good sketch. And uh this just kind of fell flat for me, other than Bill Murray's extremely angry <laughs> Robert Kennedy. What was your best sketch of the night?
2: You know, I gotta say it was the uh, it was the bed sketch with Chevy and Gilda. I thought there were two very mature performances. I thought it could have been in the movies. No, it wasn't silly. They're not crushing moths into cellophane, um, but. You know, it was good late night adult humor for the 70s, talking about, you know, his inability to please Gilda in a very PG network TV way. And, you know, there was a couple of good lines, and Chevy does that ridiculous character, that just like pathetic, stupid character so well. It's really interesting considering what an arrogant prick he is um you know what maybe he's a good after actor after all cops and Robertsons notwithstanding
0: so matt i agree with you i also uh put the uh the bed scene as my favorite of the night it was uh funny but not in a overtly hilarious way like you said there weren't too many hilarious lines but it was so it was quite relatable um and and quite um topical for the time you know something that as adults we all kind of go through this at one point or another through our dating lives and in some ways maybe Chevy wasn't acting Matt maybe he is actually a very insecure idiot in the bed and just overcompensates everywhere else
2: (laughs) I heard he had sex with Eartha Kitt in an airplane bathroom
1: (laughs) I also went with After Love as it's called uh, I like
2: that we all enjoy the the uh, mature themes of a
1: late-night TV <laughs> show together.
2: <laughs> Who was your star of the night? My star of the night is Lorraine Newman. I uh, loved her in the uh, as the cocaine trafficker. I thought she was, you know, her ridiculous mom character in the moth sketch. She just plays so over the top and so well. She's good in her weekend update correspondent role, even though I do miss the weirdo reporter character that she used to do. And she was amazing in that Robert Robert Gary Weiss film. Yeah, it's Lorraine for me.
0: I actually was um, feeling quite partial to Gilda tonight. It should have been Chevy's night, but uh, no, Gilda actually really impressed me
1: yeah i went with lorraine everything you said I, I think i weight them differently but yeah i think we're on the same page as far as what her high points were
2: she's very talented she's underused by the show in general she's absolutely extremely
1: talented so overall for me a lot of this episode dragged chevy was definitely off a few times especially in the early part of the show writers and the cast they did seem to take some chances which i, I really do appreciate but they had as many misses as they had hits, and I dare say they had more misses than they did hits. What was very apparent to me was that the show has evolved, and the show that Chevy Chase was on does not exist anymore. Chevy, I can't even say he did what he 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 could because it felt awkward at times. The stuff in this show that's well-written is not being well-performed, and the stuff that's well-performed is not particularly well-written is where I sort of sat on this one. My favorite bits were were, were sort of short ones that I thought had that that nexus. Like this is not one of the worst episodes, but this is one of the biggest disappointments for me so far. Maybe that's my fault and maybe that's not maybe I can't blame the show for not delivering what I hoped. But I do think I can blame the show for not delivering what they could have, if that makes any sense at all. Um, so I gave this one a 6 out of 10. This is my favorite part of S Hell, where I can just kind of sit here
2: and reflect. You know, I don't have any—the part where I don't have any notes. I just really—I uh, don't grade the show before you ask me the question. I, I just kind of gather my thoughts here. And another reason it's so nice from my position is that in our standardized format— You go first, and I generally find your recaps of the episode just so fucking good and precise. I loved that you brought back from the beginning, is this the same show as Chevy left? And, you know, we came around and answered the question. Buddy, you're really good at this podcast and stuff, I got to say. I tell your friends. (laughs) (laughs) I liked the cold open, the monologue stank, that uh, Kennedy sketch was shitty. Let me think, let me think. Weekend Update was too long, but I really liked some of it. This episode, that, you know what, that's the episode. It was too long, but I really liked some of it. And I hated the music. And Chevy was really good when he was really good, and bad when he was really bad. Just and You know what you said about the writing and the acting, and not just being on the same page was so resonant with me uh and i gotta think of what rebecca and i were talking about this was supposed to be special and it wasn't special and fuck them for that five five out of ten
0: yeah um i'm pretty much on par with you guys i think about maybe this seems like this show was slapdash but it was it seems like you know this wasn't something that was planned but it was planned it was planned for chevy to come back you know it was planned for sweeps week but it felt like it was so last minute for everything that there was no real good rehearsals for a lot of them there the the timings were bad in some and then some there were some great moments and some really good writing and some really good timing and it almost was like you could have You know, take the good parts out and separate them from the bad points. And you'd probably have half of a good show and half a bad show, obviously, because, yeah. Um, And I enjoyed Billy Joel because I like Billy Joel. There was such an unevenness to the whole episode where I, like you guys, had high hopes for it being a bit of a special episode. You know, when I heard that this was one of the ones that I was getting to come back. Two, I was kind of excited. I was like, oh, it's Chevy returns and this is going to happen. And and like I had these built up expectations and like it may be like he said, our fault for building it up too much in our minds. Let's go 5.5 on this. I think, guys, I'm going to literally split the middle because I felt like the episode split the middle. It just it just didn't hit.
1: So with my six, Matt's five, Rebecca's 5.5, we wind up with an average of 5.5, which is significantly lower than the IMDB score of 7.6, which I think is ludicrously high, but uh, it's based on people seeing Chevy's there. Um, This episode is currently ranked as eighth for the season, 107th um, up to this point. So I I think that's way higher than it deserves to be. That's crazy. That's crazy. So, uh, Rebecca, thank you very much for joining us. You'll be back for season four.
0: Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me, and I look forward to coming back.
2: Thank you, Rebecca. You're like a five-star third chair. I wish you were here more often, for real.
0: Uh, Well, thank you, Matt. I appreciate that. Matt, do
1: you know who's hosting next week's episode?
2: No, but you go ahead and tell me because the credits didn't tell
1: me this time and I like when they do. O.J. Simpson. (laughs) His musical guest is Ashford and Simpson. And who better than Chili to join us for the uh, O.J. Simpson episode? Yeah, so Matt and I will be back in about a week with O.J. Simpson. Never thought I'd say that sentence. (laughs) But until then, we'll be looking for the Archbishop of Canada here.